Welcome into the Fantasy Football Playmakers Podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Popelar, so you can find on Twitter at PopesFFH. Joined, as always, by my co-host, Ryan Mackey, who you can find on Twitter at Mackey underscore FFB. It is January 19th. Ryan, how are you on this wonderful winter day? I'm okay. My family, not so much. Uh, we were texting before the show. My my daughter's got something going on. I'm pretty sure my fiance has COVID. Uh, so it's likely that my daughter probably has it too. She's only five, so hopefully she doesn't. But uh, me me personally, I'm, I'm doing just fine. I just got my booster shot today. Uh, wasn't going to get it. I really wasn't. I don't like putting limited tested objects into my body but um with how much we've had my kids have had to quarantine six times since school started in august so there's a lot and not because we've had covid at all we have not had covid in the house once they've all been close contact with teachers or fellow students so uh i've missed a lot of work a lot of money missed out on so work and the cdc came out and said that if you're five months past your initial vaccination, then you need a booster shot or else you have to uh, quarantine and that just missed more time and I, I just can't do it. So got my booster shot today. My arm's a little sore already. That's why I was kind of wincing when the show first started. But uh, other than that, I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing, you know, just getting through. Just overly joyed about a uh, giant Bills win on Sunday, so. And nothing that was, can, nothing can that wasn't even a point. win. That was a destruction. Very much a destruction. And I'm I'm not gonna lie, as a Bills fan, I am very surprised by the outcome. I'm not I'm not surprised that we won. I'm just surprised at how we won. Going that stat that's been being thrown around the first team ever to have a per, basically a perfect game. Uh no punts, no turnovers, no nothing until the final kneel downs of the game. That's just I mean, that's just insane. Obviously, you can't expect that to happen again next week or this week against Kansas City, but um, that makes it, how both of those teams played this past weekend makes this makes this week's game very, uh, very interesting. Yeah, for sure. Kansas City almost said, oh, hey, perfect game. Watch what we can do. And uh, they put a shellac on Pittsburgh as well. Kind of was a... The thing I was on Twitter too. I kind of posted it just in general. It was kind of a disappointment, I think, a wild card weekend. Yeah. Not that the games weren't like good, but they kind of weren't. You know, a lot of blowouts. There was mm-hmm. only really two competitive games the first one and the Dallas one, which we all know how that ended. So, hey, hey I got to ask you about that. How, did, <laughs> how do you feel about that game? Because I. Number one, I'm very confused on the QB draw play. I get the the surprise tactic, but why even risk that? By the sounds of it, it wasn't a risk. Apparently, they practice it every day. No, I'm saying, I'm saying <laughs> if he but, were to keep running, say, an extra yard or two, even if the ref doesn't barrel into Dak Prescott, you're looking at maybe maybe a second on the time clock or on the game clock if he runs an extra yard or so like why i think why take the game like you think it was just so, simply they know they knew that they could get the 
an X amount of yards and they just wanted to have a better shot at the end zone at the last play or. Yeah. I'm a firm believer that, I mean, they probably had something they probably had like, we'll say four plays in their playbook for a 25 to 30 yard play. And as per, they probably have one play for 40 yard play. So I think their plan was, Hey, Dak, why don't you go up, get us 10 yards, fall down with a couple seconds left, enough time to spike it. And then we'll get one play that we can actually have a designed play to an extent instead of just a Hail Mary to the end zone. Yeah. So I think that was their plan. Uh, however, it didn't go as well. Dak had some poor execution. He probably ran a little bit too far slash didn't give the ball to the official. There's just too many variables there that didn't go right for them. So and I don't hate the, the, the ideology behind it. I think that the problem was that it was just poorly executed on all sides of it. Yeah. And I, I had heard that the official was like a, almost like a fill in official. Like he works for like a, he's like a day trader for some stock company and he has to apply for every game that he officiates. Like he's not an actual official NFL referee, like as a career, he has a separate job outside of that. So I wonder if that little bit of inexperience and just a little bit, cause he was definitely dragging behind the play. And you see that from time to time where officials are dragging behind the play, but they're usually like directly behind the quarterback. And for whatever reason, whether it be the draw play, he was surprised by the draw play and just didn't take off early enough or whatever the case may be. Maybe he's, a, I'm not saying he is, but maybe he's a little bit out of, out of shape and just couldn't get up there fast enough. Uh, I mean, he looked like he was out of shape. I don't know. It's that's, that's a terrible way to lose a game, but they really didn't deserve to be in that position in the first place. So I, I don't want to blame the ref. I don't really think it's his fault. So no, and Jerry Jones even came out and said that we didn't deserve to be there in that situation, yeah. anyways. It's poor execution, you know. I, that's where I'm at. I just think it was a it's poorly executed. That's all. It was a smart. I think it was a smart decision. I don't hate that. I think that what it was is poor execution, and I think it just it bit him in the butt. You know, Dak yeah. didn't give the ball to the official. That's rule number one. Once he hit the ground, you know what I mean. He's not a rookie, like. I mean, he's been in the NFL for five years. He knows he can't set his own football. So, yeah, it just seems like it was just a poor. They probably needed one or two more seconds to really get the job done quickly and adequately. So I think, I don't know, just a mess all around. I agree. Aside from that, anything else surprise you in week one of the wild card round? The the lack of the lack of offense in the Arizona Los Angeles game in terms of Arizona was surprising to me. I figured they would come out and be a little bit more explosive. Uh, I figured that game would be a little bit higher scoring, but uh, Kyler Murray looked like he was a little overwhelmed by the whole ordeal, which is odd because of because he's played big and big games before, especially at the college level. But 
Uh, I think that I think that game was probably the most surprising for me. I picked I picked San Fran to beat Dallas, so I wasn't really surprised by that. Uh, I did pick the Raiders to upset the Bengals because I thought their pressure would really bother Joe Burrow, but that offense uh, doesn't really seem to be bothered by anything anymore. So they're going to be you mean, a, a you tough mean out. Joe Cool. He is Joe Cool. Dude's man. Have you seen the two? Have you seen the two pictures of him when he he has two different poses for the teammates that he's taking a picture with? Uh, no, not that I know of. He has. I may have seen him. I just don't remember. There, there's two separate pictures, and I think in the one he's with Jamar Chase and T Higgins, and he's got a cigar in his mouth, and he's just kind of like kick back, relax. And he's just standing there with all just swag all over the place for him. And then in another picture, he's with two other teammates and he's, I think he's standing with like with arms crossed in front of him, almost like a, almost like a soldier would when they're at rest. And mm-hmm. it was kind of trending around Twitter a little bit that I saw I thought it was kind of funny that he it's almost like he knows he knows who he's who he's around and what what he's doing when it comes to being on the camera. So I just thought it was kind of funny. He just the the kids just he's unreal. He's all he's living his best life. So can't even be mad at him. I'm not mad at him. I think he's just he kind of he's shown up. He's become everything that we thought that he was going to be as a number one pick. Even aside from that horrific leg injury. Yeah. All right, Ryan. Speaking of Cincinnati and Sir Joe Cool, we have the divisional round Mm -hmm. this week, game one, Cincinnati, Tennessee. Anything you're looking for in this game, fantasy wise or just straight up football wise? Uh,. I mean, in that in that game alone, I'm just looking to see if the Bengals' offense can keep rolling. Uh, I believe they play Tennessee, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they play Tennessee. So, obviously, King Henry is apparently on pace to return. Uh, he had a contact practice today and apparently made it through without any hiccups. Basically said the only thing that's different about his foot is now he has a plate in it. So he's officially part robot now. Uh, so very interesting to see if Tennessee can control the clock enough to keep that offense off the field. Very probably even more interested to see how exactly Derrick Henry looks coming off of the injury because I think that's going to play a big factor in how he is looked at moving forward. If he has a really rough game, I feel like people are going to be a little bit more hesitant on putting him in the top five for redraft running back next year. Uh, But if he goes off again, then I mean, he's, he solidifies his spot into top five. If it's not already solidified, even with a bad outing. So 
those two things, if they can control the clock with Derrick Henry and if the offense of Cincinnati can keep clicking and rolling on all cylinders, then uh, it'll, be, it'll be a good matchup and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I like that. I, I, I'm curious to see King Henry's involvement. Um, really, yeah. that's really what I'm looking at in this game. Also, just Joe Burrow again to see if he can repeat what he's been doing the last couple weeks slash entire season and see if they can keep that offense rolling and see if Cincinnati can pull the upset. Um, I definitely think they have a good shot this week. I don't think Tennessee is as scary as many people make them out to be, um, especially without uh, Derrick Henry. And I don't expect Derrick Henry to be 100%. You know what I mean? I it sounds like he I is. The way, I know, the way that and I know talking. he's a freak athlete, and he just like he heals like Cam Akers. Apparently, these superhero running backs, but <laughs> I don't know. I just don't expect a ton out of him. I think we still see a lot of Deontay Foreman, unless unless Henry really does step out there, and they're like, "Dang, you're good. You're feeling good. Let's roll with it." Um, but I am excited. I definitely think of the games. I think this could be well. I think the Bills are underdogs too. So I think this week we could see a lot of closer games, and I expect possibly one or two upsets this weekend just because of how close that these top teams are on both sides. And even at that, the late game in that on Saturday night is Green Bay and the uh, 49ers. And fun fact I saw on Twitter today, Aaron Rodgers is 0-3 against the 49ers in the playoffs. So what would seem like a pretty much a slam dunk thinking, oh, Green Bay has been running away with it. Green Bay is the better team, maybe, possibly. But you're going in with a hot hand if Jimmy Garoppolo can play. I don't know where he's at. I know he had some shoulder issues going on. Yep. What could that be? You know, that could be a big upset there. I mean, the 49ers are playing good. They're playing hot. The defense looks good. Fred Warner supposed to be okay from that injury that happened. Um, I don't know if I've seen much on Bosa. I but think that's, I think he was that's okay. the biggest he, key. Yeah, I think I, he's being considered as a game time decision at this game point. Time. Um, so that's the, that's the biggest key right there. If they get yeah. those two guys back, that makes that game a lot more competitive, in my opinion. Just because you saw against Dallas when those two guys both went out, Dallas was able to move the ball a little bit better, gain some yard, actually gain some yardage. The pressure wasn't there as well. So if those two guys happen to miss and they're able to give Rogers time. It's going to, he, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league, probably going to win MVP. I mean, he's, if you give him time, he's, he's going to burn you. So if those two guys play, I, I like the 49ers chances just because they can run the ball. They can control the clock. Uh, Debo Samuel obviously has been great. Uh, Elijah Mitchell has been great. So they're, they're a very solid team. They're obviously still George Kittle. Uh, but the injury concerns are the only thing that are worrisome to me going into that matchup is if, if they go in completely healthy, they have a, I think they have a really good shot at beating Green Bay, even if it's in Green Bay. Yeah, I like it. I like everything there. Um, the early window on Sunday, we get Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going up against Matt Stafford in the Los Angeles Rams. Probably, arguably, is it the better game? Or is it still Bill's Chiefs for you? I mean, 
all it's it's all things aside for the bills being bills fans but like honestly you think about it this is a pretty marquee game it is i feel like the rams have that mantra right now being that team in the nfc just because of the defense and the offense everything seems clicking i mean they just tore apart the arizona cardinals and then you get tampa bay who pretty much dismantled the philadelphia eagles with Tom Brady at the helm. So to me, I, I think this game is just as equally interesting as the AFC side, which is the Bills and the Chiefs on Sunday night. Do you have anything against that, Ryan? No, I don't. Uh, I'm just I'm curious to see how the Rams decide to attack Tampa Bay. Obviously, the Rams beat them on beat them early on in the year but they had Robert Woods for that game. He is no longer with them, but he's gotten replaced with OBJ, uh, who looked really good, I thought, last week. Uh, had a couple of big plays for them. And the Bucks are now without Chris Godwin. They're not sure about Leonard Fournette yet. Their defense is kind of coming together, but it's still not 100% there. So, I mean, if you, if you think about it, you, you have a team that – you're, you're playing a team that you already beat early in the year. Talking about Los Angeles here. So it's, it's interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see if they go and look and see anything that they can exploit from last time, or if they strictly focus on what they did well last last time they played and see if they try to just repeat that as opposed to Tampa, who's looking at what beat them last time and how they can stop it. And if the Rams do decide to use the same strategy, it might be a different outcome because Tampa knows how to attack it. But having Cam Akers back, having a fresh Cam Akers uh, might definitely change their approach. They might they might actually try to run at Tampa to try to keep Tom Brady off the field because we all know if Brady has the ball in the playoffs, there's never a guarantee that he's not going to put points on the board. So, I feel like you're going to try to keep him off the field as much as possible. I don't think they want to make it a shootout game, to be honest with you. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious to see how exactly they approach the game plan there offensively for Los Angeles. I agree. I think Cam Akers definitely brings a different dynamic to that offense. I mean, watching him on Monday night was just – it was just crazy to sit mm-hmm. there and think that he just tore his Achilles less than a year ago. Um Definitely crazy. I think those Rams, the Ram offense just got a little bit more explosive and even harder to defend. OBJ looks pretty good in that game. Cooper Cup is just Cooper Cup and how he's been this year. Matt Stafford looked good, but Matt Stafford's proven that he can be rattled um, this season. And I think yep. if there is any team that Tampa Bay front seven should be able to get that job done. So I'm definitely excited for that game. Yeah. The one game I'm not excited for is Bill's Chiefs. Um, because no one likes either of those teams. No. 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 You're not excited? You're not excited? Bills Chiefs, Sunday, 6.30, clear the schedule. The impromptu AFC Championship game, it's been kind of dubbed already, which is kind of a slight on the number one seeded Tennessee Titans. But I get the hype. I get it. Um, I'm excited. I want to see if the Bills offense looks as crisp as it did a week ago against a 
pretty good Chiefs defense, not as good as the Patriots defense, but I, I'm excited. I'm nervous. Uh, I do worry that the Bills secondary will have some troubles with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, but hopefully the offense can keep up. Yeah, I I mean, you're always worried about Tyreek and Kelsey, right? I mean, you're that's what your offense ha- or your defense has to focus on. Uh last year in the AFC Championship game, we started off really hot and I thought for sure we were going to be able to hold on given how our defense had played all year and then we kind of fell apart and then we kind of redeemed ourselves in the regular season, but now this is a whole different it's a whole different atmosphere, a whole different just every everything about this game is just different from the regular season. There's no way you can compare the two. This is a chance to go to the AFC Championship game, uh, where the Chiefs have been what the last two, three years now. So it's they're I feel like yeah. is it gonna be any extra bonus, added bonus for these teams knowing who they're gonna play? You know, like hypothetically, let's say Cincinnati upsets Tennessee. Now the Bills have added incentive. That's a home playoff game for them to go to the Super Bowl. Oh, I, I definitely, wins. that's, do you know what I'm saying? Definitely a factor, I think, because can you imagine Bill stadium? If they were to host an AFC championship game, I couldn't imagine. I think I you could, could you could probably you hear that probably. stadium. You could probably hear that stadium from your house. Probably. I wouldn't have to leave. That, I could just oh get the whole God. experience from my front yard. That, that place would be absolutely bananas absolutely insane i guarantee it so i'm a Bengals fan this weekend mainly because of that i just i i just i want to see it so but all right ryan we used like 90 percent of the time that we're going to use today (laughs) to talk about the playoffs so let's roll through a couple of our dynasty fallers from the season of 2021 um, the guys that just didn't make the list this year, that kind of just we thought would be something that kind of fell, um, whether it's injury, whether it's just poor performance, whether it's offense or a guy that they brought in and have now outplayed this said player. Um, Ryan, why don't you start us off with a certain running back from a certain city north west? Yeah, for me, this one seems a bit unfair. Uh, to even bring him up because I feel like it's pretty obvious. But uh, Chris Carson from Seattle, like I said, seems a bit unfair, but he might possibly be the biggest faller in all of fantasy in terms of just where he was initially to where he is now. Three straight seasons of solid RB1 or high upside RB2 production on a per-game basis as the workhorse for Seattle went healthy the last few years, three years. Uh He's been a mainstay in rankings for those past three years now where he's been the workhorse. But next surgery that occurred around Thanksgiving uh, that was initially viewed as career-threatening, coupled with Rashad Penny's late-season push, leads me to believe his days of being the bell cow for one of the better rushing teams in the league are over. And that's not to mention the fact that Pete Carroll isn't guaranteed to be back, and neither is Russell Wilson. Uh, Carson has never played a full 16 game season once in his career, even his rookie year. 
And even though he only played in four games this season, he's averaged less than 60 yards rushing per game the last two seasons. So for me, there's a lot to be worried about with Carson. So he's an, he's an easy dynasty follower for me. I like it. Um, like you said, it is slightly unfair seeing as in it's injury related and you always hate to see that, but I believe it. I thought this was a one year run for Chris Carson this season. Um, I was all over him in any type of redraft format because of that. I thought they were going to ride him into the ground. Yep. Um, so I'm all in on that. Um, so I like that. Um, since you're handling the running back position, I'm going to handle the wide receiver position. I'm going to go with a guy that's actually pretty young, but he was an offseason overhype, and he disappointed, and now most likely will be irrelevant depending on a said person's return. Marquez Callaway, New Orleans Saints, a guy that we kind of talked up. We thought, hey, Michael Thomas ain't going to be there. Someone's got to catch the ball. Is it going to be him? Is it going to be Traquan Smith? The answer was it's neither. So, Ultimately, uh, PPR leagues, he did give you a couple weeks of some viability. However, he hits you with two two-point games right off the bat. So most likely you were unable to trust him all season. Um, he only gave you one, two, three, four, five, six double-digit weeks. One over 20 points. Um, and he only had 46 receptions, 698 yards. And the argument could be that, hey, he didn't have Jameis Winston for part of the season. Well, the problem is, is some of his worst games were with Jameis Winston. So, for me, I think the hope that Marquez Callaway would become much anything more than a wide receiver four is pretty much dead in the water at this point. And for me, if there's someone who's still holding on for Marquez Callaway, I'm willing to move him. Um, it's rookie draft season here in a lot of dynasty leagues. I'd definitely send him for like a third round pick. I would just kind of just cut my ties with Marquez Callaway and just let him be someone else's problem. He's just too unpredictable to start for me. He's just kind of seems like a roster clogger at this point, especially if Michael Thomas does return to the Saints. And even if he does, um, I'm curious to see what the Saints do in the offseason and what the quarterback position is. Who's their quarterback? How's that team going to look? So for me, I'm just willing to wipe my hands of Marquez Callaway at this point. Yeah, I I got to agree with you there. I'm not quite sure how much how much his dynasty value really rose in terms of like I mean, ADP or anything like that after the preseason that he had. But pretty high. Probably. I mean, it's tough because of the ADP at that point, you're not really looking at it probably because most of the drafts are done, but I mean, right. his value early in the season, if you were looking to trade for him was pretty high. Yeah. So for me, I'm kind of going off of that. Yeah, no, I, I get that. I, I agree with you. Them being a follower, he probably is a roster clogger at this point. And after the preseason that he did have, I mean, his value did skyrocket to the point where, I mean, I traded him for in what ended up being a really early second uh, at the beginning of the year. I was never really a firm believer in that because I wasn't sure what exactly that Saints offense would look like. I figured they would run a lot, a lot through Alvin Kamara still. Uh, and I was honestly counting on a Michael Thomas bounce back season. So uh, at the time that I made the trade, I liked it. I like it even more now. So, uh, I, I agree with you there on him being a follower. 
sitting here today, an early second for Marcus Callaway is pretty close to bank robbery. It was a 202. Yeah. So even in an arguably shallow class, which I think we'll find out to be is a little bit deeper than we think. I like that trade. Wide receiver is crazy. Um, All right, Ryan. You also went with another northerner. This time, he's from the cheese state. Hit me. Did you did you just use a play on words of a cheesesteak? State. I know. Jeez, Never state. mind. Never mind. So, as as the the host over there alluded to, he is a Green Bay Packer, and that is Aaron Jones. In seven games without Aaron Rodgers, Jones has only seen 45 attempts, ran for 239 yards and two touchdowns with only 13 targets in those seven games. Rodgers very, very well could be gone next season. After all the turmoil this, this offseason, he has not committed to coming back. Uh, retirement has already been talked about again, so he may be without Rodgers moving forward especially if this team does not advance past San Francisco in the playoffs. I would not be surprised if he's just done at that point. Uh, Jones is going into his sixth year, his age 28 season. The thing he does have going for him is that his touches are relatively low for a guy that's viewed as a top back due to how Green Bay has always had an alternative option that you trusted, whether it be Jamal Williams or now A.J. Dillon. Uh his highest touch total so far to, for his career is 285. So he may not hit the wall or fall off a cliff like most backs do around this age, like immediately. But this season, he was 17th in yards per touch, 19th in true yards per carry, and 13th in fantasy points per opportunity, according to Player Profiler. And it's not that those numbers are necessarily bad, but for a guy who's typically ranked in the top six or seven of running backs from year to year, those aren't stats that I like to see uh, when you're talking about top flight running backs in fantasy this season Jones had nine games of under 60 rushing yards and provided more flex worthy weeks than RB one weeks. AJ Dillon saw double digit opportunities in 12 games scored seven touchdowns, which proves that they don't need to lean on Jones as much as people would like to see in a top option at running back. So my expectation is that if Rodgers moves on, they will obviously have to lean on the run more because I don't see them going and getting a top-flight quarterback, and I don't see Jordan Love being the answer, at least not next year. We'll have to see how he develops moving forward, but just for next season, I don't expect that to be the case. So my thinking with that is that they're not going to give Jones anywhere near a full workload. I think that it'll be probably like a 60-40 split for him and A.J. Dillon, if not even more closer to 50-50. He's still extremely talented, but in Dynasty, I think his name likely carries more weight than his actual production and potential future issues, which it would suggest. I absolutely love this one. Um, I will 100% agree with you on Aaron Jones. I tried to trade for Aaron Jones earlier this season, and I was told that he would not trade a top five running back. Um, Aaron Jones did not finish as a top five running back, nor should he ever be viewed as a top five running back in the future, even in PPR leagues. I just feel like AJ Dillon's time is there. Like you said, say, um, 
Aaron Rodgers walks away. Who says they don't try to trade um, Aaron Jones this offseason? We don't know that. I mean, that might actually give him a little bit of a bump in value depending on his location. But I feel like him getting signed in Green Bay was Green Bay just doing what they had to do to get him to stay because they wanted to make that run with Aaron Rodgers this season. And in case Aaron Rodgers walked away next season, they needed to have um, Aaron Jones. I think they thought that this was their key piece to help them. I know they like A.J. Dillon, but I just think that they wanted that extra incentive in the passing game from Aaron Jones. So for me, I think that Aaron Jones' season or offseason should be an interesting one to monitor along with Aaron Rodgers' situation because, like I said, if he's gone, who says they don't move him? Open up some cap space, get rid of him, open up the door for A.J. Dillon, and just kind of add some pieces around um, say Jordan Love if that's who they decide to go with at quarterback. So, I do enjoy that a lot. Um, what would you move him for at this point? You know, like, like I feel like I don't want to take a huge loss on him because I feel like there's still upside there. I know that he's not going to be like an RB1 possibly anymore, but I still think he can give you some RB2 or RB1 weeks. So, it's kind of like there's still value there, but the long-term value is not there in my opinion, like you said, but right. like – Next season, I still feel like there's some value just because of how talented he is. And I feel like the name, like you said, is still going to hold some more value probably than what he's worth. Yeah. So like, like if you're trying to get him, say, or even if you're trying to move him, like what are you taking for him at this point? So if I'm trying to move him, uh, first of all, I'm probably not moving him if I'm a contender unless it is a deal that you just can't really say no to. Uh, but if you're like in a rebuild or you're borderline contending and you kind of want to just blow your team up or something like that, I, I would take a guy. See, I would take like, if I'm in a full rebuild, I would take a guy like, like Michael Carter in a second, like an early second, 23 second. For him, like if I'm in a full blown rebuild, knowing that I'm not going to compete for next year, you get a young guy in Michael Carter who is on a team that is with a brand new coaching staff and a rookie quarterback that very well could develop into a better player than he already is. So you're kind of hedging on the fact that if you believe in a guy like Michael Carter, I'm just using him as an example, but you get a guy that you think has upside two years from now. And you get a second round pick in a class that has been pegged as one of the best classes that we've seen in recent years. So I feel like a, a move like that would in the league would be like, that's terrible. You should, that might be veto worthy just because of Aaron Jones's name. But if you really look forward into 2023, your Aaron Jones, isn't going to be nearly what his value is right now at this given point. So, like I said, if you're in a full-blown rebuild, that's that's the type of move that we want to make a, a rookie or second-year running back that you feel like has really high upside. You're not going to get Javante Williams for him or anything like that. Like, I'm not, not going to get Najee. You're not going to get anybody like that. But if you can get a guy like Michael Carter or uh, trying to think of like a second-round back from this year that, I don't know. There's any guy with any guy with future potential upside that you believe in 
and a second round pick in 2023 because I don't think you can get a player and a first for him. I really, I really don't at this point. Even though his name mm-hmm. like still carries weight, I don't think you're willing. I don't. I think people know enough about the 23 class to not move that first round pick. So that's why I'm saying to go after the potential of the whatever running back you trust or believe in, plus the second, and I think that would get it done. Fair. All right. All right, Ryan. I'm going to hit us with the last one. Let me see it. He's a, he's a wide receiver as well, because I'm just going gonna, gonna to keep that positional discrepancy. You know all what I'm saying? Right, we right. could talk about Zeke all day. I'm just saying. <laughs> Anyways, Jarvis Landry, oh. Cleveland Browns. I know Baker had a shoulder injury. I hear the stories. I get it. Let's be real. He had a season without OBJ. Yes, he had his own injuries early on in the season. But he was given the role. We saw it from week seven on, 8, 10, 5, 5, 5, 8, 10, 10, 7, 10, 8. Those are his target totals. He managed still to only ever produce mm, one, two, three, four respectable games. Um, One was at 19 points. The rest are all about 15 in PPR leagues, um, he was getting target volume. He just wasn't there. I mean, a lot of these games, he had one 100-yard game. He only scored two touchdowns over that span from week seven on. So for me, I just feel like Jarvis Landry has hit that point. He's 29 years old. He's kind of always been a PPR cheat code near the end of the season, and this year it wasn't there. I know that you could argue Baker's injury had a lot more to do with it than could be let on. But I just think that for a team that's really reliant on running a a ground and pound, running that defense, and Landry had his opportunity to be the guy this year with OBJ getting traded, and it just didn't really ever hit. So for me, I think we're at a nice point here with Jarvis Landry where some people might see that end of the season. They might see those couple double-digit games, that span of the 14, 15-point weeks and finishing on a 20-point week. And you might be able to move Jarvis Landry right now for a price that makes sense. Um, like a younger guy, possibly like a Nico Collins, a um, possibly Elijah Moore. I know Elijah Moore is going to carry a lot of weight no. more than Jarvis Landry, but you might have to package something. But Landry's going to carry enough of a name to get somebody in that tier with like – Actually, a better choice than Elijah Moore is probably Rashad Bateman, who didn't have that huge of a year. But you're going to be kind of around that same range. I mean, there might be some added pieces that you need to add in there, work it both ways, maybe add another player, get another guy from someone else. But I feel like Jarvis Landry's at this point where we can still – he still holds enough value if someone really still believes in what Jarvis Landry is. But at 29 years of age, on a team that's not a pass-heavy offense with a quarterback in question – just seems to me like it's that point that we make that move at 29 years old. So for me, I'm looking to get out of Jarvis Landry if I have any shares of him based on that, because I just don't know if that value is going to be there for you in 2022. So I'm looking, I was just curious as to what his contract looks like. So I decided to look it up and, he carries a 
16 and a half million dollar cap hit going into next season and his dead cap if they were to release him is only 1.5 million dollars would you be surprised if they were to cut him given his age given the upside that dpj has shown and decide to basically just rework their wide receiver core and let him walk and he goes into free agency and signs with a, just a more high powered offense would would that change your mind any or do you think he's just with the fact that he's approaching age 30 uh do you think that's he would still be a sell because there's, there's a lot of value would obviously rise if he were to go to yeah one of the obvious teams there's a lot to be said about situation for a 29 year old football player i i think he would be more valuable he would be more on that cole beasley side if we would compare it to the bills than emmanuel sanders was of an ad um, I think that if you added him to a higher powered offense, there's definitely value there and startability because he's proven that. Um, I'm leaning towards the inconsistency that they might not let him walk. I get the cap hits there. I understand that. And they could save a lot of money. But in honesty, who do they have? I mean, yeah, Peoples Jones looked good for a little bit, but like he's not ready to be the guy in Cleveland. And I feel like Cleveland's at that point of it's, it's a win now for Cleveland. They're in that window. They're not in a rebuild. They are in that point of like, it's now or never in essence for Kevin Stefanski. I mean, Nick Chubb's not getting any younger. Kareem Hunt's not getting any younger. Um, the defensive side of the ball, Miles Garrett isn't getting any younger. I mean, I know they have some better younger pieces on that defense, but it's still kind of a, a shorter win now period. And I don't know if they're going to be really ready to let um, Landry walk. I mean, they could draft a wide receiver and maybe that changes their mind. But I feel like they still – I would be more surprised and interested to see what Austin Hooper's contract looks like. I could see them getting rid of him to save money more than they would I, Jarvis Landry. Well, I think I think Hooper is still signed. I think he's signed like a four-year deal. Yeah, but I'm just um, curious if there's some dead cap in there that that could be a way to free up cap space if they wanted. And they might restructure Landry's contract. I mean, maybe Landry does want to leave. Maybe he leaves um, – it won't restructure and force them to cut him, but I mean, there definitely would be a rise. Do you know what I mean? To answer your question, ultimately, if he landed on say green Bay, um, but I just don't know what he would want in the, in the, in the free agent market. But if he landed in say green Bay, Seattle, I mean, somewhere that's going to throw the ball a lot. I mean, Buffalo could be an option. You got two guys that are possibly leaving in the off season. I mean, it's tough because you're, you're looking at cap space and teams and what's really a better situation. You know, a lot of teams that have cap space. I mean, if he ends up in New England, I mean, New England could be a real nice spot for him, especially with Mac Jones and that PPR. I mean, they have Jacoby Myers, so it kind of kill him. But, like, maybe. Because um, I still feel like he's going to draw a good amount of for a veteran wide receiver that's proven in the NFL. So I just feel like he's got to land to a spot that has good cap space, and I just don't know if there's a team that is in much better of a situation than Cleveland would be. Yeah, that's why I'm saying if they re- they released him, he'd be able to sign like a one year, two year, couple million dollars a year deal. And to answer your question about Austin Hooper, he's definitely not going anywhere. He holds like an eleven million dollar cap hit if they release him this year. So, 
Yeah, I uh, don't know exactly what it looked like. I believe it's Najoku who is up for free agency this year. Um, and then they still have Harrison Bryant as well, who a lot of people liked in the dynasty space. So I don't know. I'm just curious to see what they do because like you said, their team isn't getting younger. Uh, they're probably pretty unsure on if Baker Mayfield can lead them to a title. So I'm, I'm very curious to see where the Browns go this off season with their wide receiver core, because the wide receiver core is pretty deep. They already have a solid offensive line. They already have a solid defense. So they might target a wide receiver in the draft, uh, a bigger bodied wide receiver to take the place of the wide receiver one position over Jarvis, who is a mainly plays slot, like primarily plays slot. So, uh, I'm trying to think of who somebody might be later on in the draft. Like David Bell, who's a big body wide receiver. Uh, I'm not sure if he will be. Traylon Burks will be there later on. Later on in the draft, second or third round. Possibly, DFL doesn't really like Traylon Burks right now. I saw. We're gonna get. We're gonna get off topic for a second, but uh, I saw that like PFF has him as like the fourth or fifth wide receiver. Yeah, and. I mean, I see people. He wasn't even in he wasn't in Mel Kuyper's top one, or he wasn't even Mel Kuyper's first round draft right now. He he's like Twitter's universal wide receiver one, and you look at mock drafts and you look at places like PFF, and they don't even have him in the top five of the class for wide receivers, which is kind of odd. It's it's kind of weird to not see that lineup. PFF is just I don't fucking don't ask me. Sometimes I see their stuff and I'm just like, what's going on here? Come on. No, I I hear you. But it's it's everybody's caveat. I don't know. I mean, a, a lot of buzz for Garrett Wilson. I, I think the NFL is leaning towards that Tyreek Hill mold, and that's why I think the NFL is drawing more buzz for guys like that, like the Garrett Wilsons and the <clears throat> um, Jameson Williams and – um, John Mechie players kind of like that a little bit more crisper in the routes quicker in and out um, trail on Burks doesn't necessarily have the cleanest of routes but he's a big bodied guy he kind of has that more DK Metcalf feel so maybe teams aren't necessarily looking for that anymore maybe they want that speed that you can get out of like Tyreek Hill Jalen Waddle um, Jamar Chase stuff like that so I feel like that's what it is. I think they're looking for that game-breaking speed. Um, Burks has some good speed, but maybe it's just not totally what they're looking for, in all honesty. Yeah, I don't know. It'll all change in four months before the draft anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I mean, a week and four ahead of the draft, we'll know. So, Yeah, Sky Moore will be wide receiver one before the draft. He's getting up there. A lot of people like him. He's creating some buzz. Gonna have an article about him here soon. Doubt it. Anyways, Ryan. Oh, what the? You already hinted at it, but why don't you let everybody know for everybody listening where they can find you, what you have coming out? Hit us. I, I don't even know if I want to now because that was just rude. I don't. I. That was just uncalled for. But you can find me on Twitter at Mackie underscore FFB. Uh, I did just drop an article over at Yards Per. Uh, I have a article coming out for FF League winners. 
It is an article about the all over performers team guys that weren't expected to perform well. I use PFF's expected points metric for that. And but based off of people that weren't expected to finish in the top 10 and that did finish inside the top 10. So uh, it's a really cool article. I thought it was a cool idea. So I just threw it out there. Uh, and then I have rookie articles coming out for yards per in the coming weeks, months. I'm at least going to do three. Traylon Burks is one of my guys. Sky Moore is one of my guys. And I believe I snagged a running back as well to do. So uh, just be on the lookout for that. And I'm sure I'll have other stuff coming out soon now that uh, now that the season's over and I don't have to focus as much on in-season content. Love to hear it. You can find me on Twitter at Pope's FFH. You can also find any of my writing at <laughs> Maddie. What's up? Bringing the fire. You can find any of my work over at the Sports Gambling Podcast Network, as well as Yards Per. Um, a lot of rookie content coming out. If you are interested in any rookie prospects, I am dropping a lot of rookie threads. Kind of running through the running back position as of right now on Twitter. I'll move forward to wide receiver, tight end, and running back as we get closer to the draft. But there's a lot of interesting running backs, so I'm trying to go a little bit deeper this year as well in the threads to get a little bit more out there for a lot of people. So we're getting there. I might jump on a couple of those people at yards per to get some profiles in there, but to be determined. (laughs) Till next week, stay safe, take care.